just trying to like push your way through work and get it done as quickly as you can um, sometimes has been called volunteerism because it's this excessive reliance on the will and on willpower. And really what has to lead all of our growth is the intelligence. You know, and it's something you see, like you have to see how to do this in the best way. What's the best way to do it? How do you do it in a new and better way? How do you bring ideals into how you do this? How do you transform it into love and service? These kind of, these questions apply to, they kind of appeal to the intelligence so that a person can start to think about this and just, and it takes a moment of reflecting to get this vision and then you can go for it. Hey, this is Sharif here with another episode of Golden Hour, joined by Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, good to be here with you again. Hey, Sharif. It's uh, great to be back. Yeah, Kevin, I thought it would be good for us today to discuss our web platform, OptimWork.com, which is where we really help people grow. And maybe we could go into how that relates to the podcast and the background of it and how it works. And also, we've recently done some very interesting projects analyzing the the response the data and the improvements that people have had using the different uh elements of the website so going into that a little bit how's that sound that sounds great okay where, where's a good place to start maybe with a little bit of the, the history of it probably the first thing then going going back some years over over 10 years now is the development of the inventory and that was basically a, a flash of inspiration that I had on how to apply acceptance and commitment therapy to the, uh, the, to the issue basically of like thriving on challenge in ordinary life. So I wanted to see, can you use the principles of acceptance and commitment therapy just to help people do like to work better, to build the relationship stronger without being in any way focused on disorders? Uh, and Acceptance and commitment therapy has this really interesting way of dividing up. So you have, um, the, they call it the hexaflex, which are these six areas that uh, all together go to make up what they call psychological flexibility. Um, and so it's basically things like how accepting are you of emotions and how much in the present moment are you and do you have clear ideals and do you set goals for your actions and, and so on? Um, do you get stuck in your thoughts? You know, and you see yourself as capable of growing. Those are essentially the, the areas. And so I thought, wait a second, what if I just came up with like four items for each of those? And then I put that together and that's the inventory. So it ended up then with it being really nice because the way the Hexaflex works, part of it's biological, part of it's psychological, part of it's spiritual already. And you can see in the inventory that they kind of break down into biopsychosocial spiritual groups. So it ends up having this kind of nice, compre like it's comprehensive, I guess. Yeah. And, and so you were making this for a mentoring program that you were getting off the ground. So you needed a way that when you were mentoring people, you were helping them work through kind of a program or, or that you could get a sense of how they're doing this week now that you're meeting with them again. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And it started off as just to get to know people initially. And, and so, you know, I was in touch, you know, um, with a lot of students um, through my practice and through nonprofit 
that I'm also involved in. I was like involved with a lot of students at Harvard and MIT. And so the inventory was designed then partly with them in mind uh, and partly with students from the University of Dallas in mind because I had spent 17 years in Dallas and that entire time I was working very much with a lot of UD students. Uh, and so it was kind of thinking like, what does it look like to really flourish in work overall? Uh, and then I discovered after a period, a couple of years that the inventory works really well if you just have people take it before every mentoring session. And that really was like a new thing. Like now I had something I could track uh, and that I could graph and then see, are people really making progress? And then how do you help people to make faster progress? And that's just where I was getting when uh, there's this guy who joined the mentoring program uh, that we had just met named Sharif. Yeah, that's me. Uh, <laughs> you remember that? So, yeah, I do. That was 2016. So uh, can we just back up a little bit before we mm -hmm. get Because I think that's a really important thing to talk about, definitely, is me. But okay. <laughs> uh, no, even just backing up a little bit is... Um, uh, where did the idea of of work come from as as being the central kind of organizing principle for all this? Was that in the Hexaflex? Because a, a lot of the inventory questions that anyone who's taken the inventory on optimalwork.com knows that there's a number of questions about work, your schedule, giving into distractions, I'm enthusiastic after my work, so forth. So um, was that because of the audience being students that you wanted to center it around uh, work? And also making it not, you know, totally about therapy and fixing disorders. So you thought, you know, hey, work is a really solid place to be working on all these psychological skills. Partly it has to do then with influence of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. So he wrote uh, the book Flow. So which really became, it was like a, that was a big event in the psychology of work and in psychology in general. This idea that there is, a state of peak performance that can be studied. And so I, I read the book back in Dallas, and then I went to a conference by a Harvard psychologist named Daniel Brown. Uh, and in this conference, it was like a two-day intense, all-day-long conference on peak performance and visualization was what it was called. And it was at this big hotel in, in Boston. Uh, and the conference was really fascinating. And there is where I really learned much more about the idea of flow having different levels. But flow very much is about work. I never believed that video games are flow. Or, you know, that I think that, I mean, maybe some, I won't be, I won't be you know, but I think that tends to be more hyper-focus. Uh, yeah, you're, there's you're, all a waste of time. Yeah. yeah. We can just Probably. say that. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the dopamine researchers are very cautionary about video games. So, yeah. Uh, so I just never really thought that the study of flow in the context of video games was compelling, but flow in work, now that's actually much more interesting and that people can go into flow while doing ordinary work. So there's this kind of way of performing at your best in work called flow. And I felt like I'd experienced flow in work. I feel like a lot of my work is talking to people and I'm certainly in flow and I'm talking to people. And when you're kind of doing therapy, it is really a flow experience, but that I could also do that while reading and other things. I thought, well, I wanted to learn more about it. And 
like if I were to fast forward a little bit, it was in 2015, I was giving a talk to basically Harvard undergrads on work and working, it was called optimal work with the space in between the two words. So it, uh, you know, the last and, time it appeared with a space. <laughs> exactly. And so in that talk, it was preparing that talk that everything clicked because now in my private practice, I had gotten really good at helping people with anxiety. So, and my, my thing with anxiety is I want people to get better in one session. So, or, you know, two or three, but I want to find a way to um, get people into the exposure so deep and so fast that they experience this kind of aha moment, like, whoa, now I know how to do this. And it's not scary, it's actually exciting. And so I had been practicing, how do you get people genuinely excited for the exposure exercise? So, and that, I had over the over years, like over a decade, I had come up with essentially these three steps. So the you know the first is that you have to change their attitude toward the exposure, so that they're like, bring it on, the more the better. And then the second is you have to change their way of experiencing anxiety to open up to feel it as fully as they can. But then the thing, the 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 the, the height is they have to really lean into the challenge as if they're pushing up on their anxiety as high as it will go. And when they would do those three things together, within a couple minutes, the anxiety would just collapse. And they would get to the point where they, even in the first session, nothing could really bring it on again. And we would try, and then they would practice it each day on their own. And you know, when, um, when the app store first came out for the iPhone, I had an app uh, that I called Virgil. Uh, and it's, it was designed to be accompanying people as they go through the purgative experience of exposure therapy and to have them rate every minute. It would ask them every minute to rate their anxiety and then it would show the graph. And that's where I really got to see again and again and again, all these graphs of what anxiety looks like as you get desensitized or habituated to it. And people had shown me those things when I was in residency, but to see it again and again with my own patients doing exposure in real time was very cool. So when I would see people in my practice, I could call up their, their uh, you know, Virgil exposure history and, and then see, oh, wow, this is kind of the progress you've been making. But eventually I got so fast in helping people with anxiety that it wasn't even worth the trouble of like doing this app and and uh, and, it was, and it was it was clunky. It was hard to it was hard to keep going. So the idea of helping people with an app, you know, to be to making progress, it was like that was in my mind from you know for the last you know, like twenty years, uh, fifteen years. Uh, okay, so these three steps: reframing, mindfulness, and challenge, are how you have the fastest exposure work possible. And I'd done that again and again and again with so many people. But then I was rereading all the Daniel Brown stuff on, on peak experience because the conference I attended has this like 100 page book. Uh, and it all clicked that, wait a second, these are exactly the same steps to go into flow that Mihai Csikszentmihalyi had talked about, but he had like eight steps and they're hard to read. <laughs> so it's everything in flow is complicated as a book. And so wait, it's exactly the same. So helping people, to get into flow involves the same kind of gating. That first, the first gate that you have to go through is getting to a positive attitude. 
The second gate is bringing your attention fully to the task at hand. And then the third gate is there's a challenge. So it's like three things you have to do in a sequence. And that's what I, that's like, it clicked. That is exactly how you teach people to do a golden hour. So when I was doing exposure work, I was really teaching people how to set the stage for just effective work, period. Mm -hmm. And so reframing mindfulness challenge, we've also looked at more in depth at the, the hexaflex in ACT and the six skills that are involved there. And they map on pretty well, like reframing mindfulness, leaning into the challenge are kind of in some ways summarizing the hexaflex from they, ACT, in the, some those way six they skills do. of psychological yeah. flexibility. Yeah. Uh, and the the conditions for flow. Yeah, because it's into, it's like it's uh, intellectual, attentional, and behavioral. And all cognitive behavioral therapy always has those kind of three domains. You know, classically, those three domains are intellect, memory, and will. So that's like the so even going back to the earliest people you know, to Plato and Aristotle, you can see it's not always how they divide it in three parts, but it's it's very similar. And um, and after Augustine in the West, that's really where that threefold division comes in, you know, of intellect, memory, will, these kind of three powers of the soul. Um, and then, so uh, so then we work to uh, to bring this online, the inventory, uh, to to be able to cap help people capture their progress and yeah. track that over time and facilitate this kind of mentorship. Uh, relationship. Yeah. So what, what had happened in the mentoring program was we got to the point where we could get a bounce on the inventory of like 50 points or 60 points in the first couple of weeks. So, and then people stabilize at a very high score. And so that bounce um, was beautiful to see in practice. And you could see that there was this real transformation. So I was your mentor. So of course I got to, I got to see you, you had the, that exact bounce that just as you learned all the things, everything completely clicked really fast. Yeah, because I came in, I think I got maybe a, I don't know, 128 or something on my first, out of 240, 24, it's answering 24 items, one through 10. So the yep. score is 24 through 240. Uh, and then pretty quickly, basically the initial set mentoring session we'd have with someone was explaining the whole theory of reframing, mindfulness, and challenge doing and a goal how that hour. works to help you yeah and then and then giving two practical uh like homework assignments that do a golden hour every single day for the next week and jump out of bed the moment your alarm first sounds exactly and with those two pieces of practice so this was for college students and young professionals more or less yeah and it is amazing that the transformation you see just getting people to learn how to do a golden hour which is just any hour where you deliberately do the three steps of reframing mindfulness challenge. And then second, that jump out of bed the moment the alarm first sounds. So in the first mentoring session, I'd always try to cover all that ground to explain it. And it was a bit of, I mean, people would keep up. And fortunately, like I work in a place where there's a lot of very ambitious young people who are quick to incorporate it, like good advice. And then they're like, yes. And that fits my experience. And that's exactly like the best times of work I've ever had. That's essentially what was going on. And so we, we would get this buy-in that was really strong. And then you made a website which allowed us to track the inventory easily and it would send an email to the person and their mentor, uh, which was generally me, 
um, you know, to uh, to see like what their progress looks like. And so, and that website is what became optimalwork.com. Yep, exactly. And then, so after the inventory, uh, adding the golden hour to help people just regularly go through the steps of the golden hour and kind of like, a, a di- I know you don't like the term discipline, but just to keep people on track that, you know, after two weeks of doing golden hours, sometimes you say, okay, yeah, I'm ready. And you just dive into the work, but which I think is, is always the issue. And in our, in our new masterclass, which we'll get to the masterclass soon, uh, you talk about this as, uh, what, what do you say? It's a subtly negative approach to one's work is to just kind of dive in to get it done. So there's always, if you're uh, initially you're procrastinating and you're putting off work and you're distracting yourself, and then you're doing a lot of golden hours and you start to feel comfortable, hey, I can really do this and I'm getting much better at working, the, the tendency that you can fall into fairly quickly is to just dive in without really thinking about it, without doing reframing, a couple of minutes of mindfulness and challenge. So the golden hour tool on the, the site was a way to help people just be deliberate and kind of go through those steps each time. Yeah, because I got to see firsthand the transformation that occurred when people started being deliberate. So I kind of saw my job was to get them to apply their intelligence to how they're about to do this next thing instead of just diving in. And so just trying to like push your way through work and get it done as quickly as you can, um, sometimes has been called voluntarism because it's this excessive reliance on the will and on willpower. And really what has to lead all of our growth is the intelligence. You know, and it's something you see, like you have to see how to do this in the best way. What's the best way to do it? How do you do it in a new and better way? How do you bring ideals into how you do this? How do you transform it into love and service? These kind of, these questions apply to, they kind of appeal to the intelligence so that a person can start to think about this and just, and it takes a moment of reflecting to get this vision and then you can go for it. And so that is the important thing, that people just get this moment of shaping it with their intelligence, and then they carry it through practically. So that's where the golden hour helps people to get into the habit of doing. So, But I don't think everyone needs to do the golden hour for every hour of work, but the same kind of muscles, in a sense, that the golden hour teaches you how to go through the steps, you just get very quick at applying them. So, and you can, and, and then you unlock this, <clears throat> incredible power to change behaviors. Right, right. Um, so then I think an interesting next phase we can just dis- we can discuss is the development of the master class. So um, what we found was actually in uh, with the mentoring was that initially we would teach people these main concepts of what is reframing, what is re- mindfulness, what is challenge, how do these things all work? How do you do them? Uh, and we wanted to have these ideas reach a broader audience. So very quickly we realized, well, I don't know how quickly for some people, but uh, me, uh, that uh, we needed to teach people who weren't in the mentoring program in order for them to get the most use out, uh, the most value and benefit out of the inventory and the golden hours to teach them this approach. Uh, and that's where the masterclass came from. That's exactly right. <clears throat> I also wanted for the the patients in my practice <clears throat> so that they would be able to more quickly get the whole approach that I had 
uh, and then be able to apply that to their own growth. So I think what motivated the masterclass was just wanting to help kind of essentially, like initially the people in mostly my orbit, you know, and, and to deliver to them most effectively, you know, and as quickly as possible, all the content of the mentoring program. And so you and I worked on, in the summer of 2020, um, we worked on writing up everything. And we actually wrote a couple books. So wrote one book, and then we totally rewrote it so until the end. It was a completely different one. And then in the end, we decided this isn't actually the way to convey these things, that it needs to be something that's recorded and, and interactive in some way. Um, so, and then the masterclass has been like an enormous kind of adventure because right after, you know, a few months and we had, uh, you know, dozens of people go through it. I remember when we first compared the results to basically being mentored by me versus taking the masterclass and you would see their inventory results graphed and the two graphs were indistinguishable. They were, it was amazing that the people from the masterclass were doing just as well as the people that I had mentored. So now what we have is, okay, like if you were to like look now at the whole offering that we have, we have the inventory. We did Roche model analysis of the inventory and to test its psychometric properties and it held up very well. So this looks and sees like, are people misusing it? Are they overusing like some, like the inventory is one to 10. So if you, are people just conveniently hitting five all the time? Well, this kind of modeling will, will tell you how accurately are people using it. And in fact, they were using it very, very well. Um, and the inventory held up as being extremely sensitive and being, being reliable as, a, as an instrument. Um, and so we had had almost we had like, at that point, we'd had like 27,000 inventories taken, I think, uh, something like that. Um, so, you know, right now what we have then is essentially we, so many people have taken, oh, you know, almost 8,000 have taken the inventory at least once that we essentially have a normal population. We can tell you like what are generally people like when they've come to optimal work, having had no exposure before. And that is really, really valuable. There's a huge number of people to have administered a 24 item questionnaire to. Just the number of data points you have is gigantic. You know, and to, so optimal work is actually becoming this very powerful and interesting uh, like research engine. And now we can look and see, so people who do the masterclass, how do they fare? Like what, what, what does the masterclass actually do for them? And so in that, the um, three ones I wanted to really look at are the complaining one. So I almost never complain. Are, are people less likely to complain after taking the masterclass? Are they less likely to give in to distractions while they work? And are they more likely to set positive goals for themselves? Because uh, those are essentially reframing mindfulness and challenge summarized. And so we did that. And the uh, when people complete the masterclass, they go from being, when they started, basically in the middle, you know, around the 50th or so percentile. And at the end, on the complaining one, they're now in the 81st percentile. So what we, you know, is like to put that in perspective, that if there's five people in a room, they would be statistically the one least likely to complain of all five of those people. 
but then it's even more so on the other two. So when it comes to now not giving into distractions, the people who have done the masterclass are now in the 85th percentile and was setting goals are in the 86th percentile. And so, and you, you did the analysis, but I'll, I'll report it here, uh, that the effect size on these things is huge. So that they uh, overall, on all the inventory items together, the effect size is 0.9. And so for a psychological intervention, that is a very large effect size. Antidepressants have an effect size of like 0.3. So, you know, it's so in psychiatry, an effect size of 0.9 is very meaningful. Uh, and so it's, it's cool to see that the masterclass has um, held up with incredible like results. You know, it, it's showing its power to transform people. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's it's an, for an, an intervention of watching a series of videos and, and there are some interactive videos to help you apply it to your situation and then exercises like the true success, which we haven't talked about, but you can see it on the site to help you identify your ideals, practicing golden hours, that this whole package taken together, which is a very easy to do thing. You can do it on your own, do it online, uh, and you just get these amazing results. It's like five to 10 minutes yeah. a day. Yeah. And it's cool. It's like, in my practice now, I encourage everyone to do the masterclass before they see me. And it's happened a couple of times that like one, I remember this one case where the guy had, had was having panic attacks and that's why he wanted to see me because I love treating panic and I had um, helped a family member of his. Uh, and so, but the wait time was like a couple months to come in to see me. In the meantime, he did the masterclass. Then when I saw him in the, in the session, he said, oh, the panic? Yeah, no, that's all gone. He said by the time he got through the second week of the masterclass, I think, which is mostly on really adrenaline and anxiety and how to utilize adrenaline, um, that was the click. And it was the one thing he needed. And now like the panic was completely gone and I never even had to treat him. So we had a, we had a pleasant talk, but it wasn't like heavy lifting you know, to, to help him through. So if you can, if you can like, and now I'd never make like a medical claim, you know, about this because the, I don't want the, to have to go through a process of approval through the FDA, you know, but it's just cool that how much psychoeducation can accomplish. And that's really what the masterclass is. It's, it's not therapy, it's psychoeducation, you know, and just, it's cool to see how much that can do. And I'm sure people who have written books on anxiety have had similar things that people come and say that, you know, they, how much they were, they were helped by it. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin, just, as a kind of last question, looking back uh, at to when OptumWork was started six, seven years ago, um, and even when you were working on this more 10, 15 years, 20 years ago, uh, would you have thought that a totally online intervention, no, you know, you as a psychiatrist, you're, you're used to engaging people one-on-one -on -one and being able to perfectly specify your advice to the person's situation. Um, would you have thought that, you know, an online program like this, a platform could be so effective at helping people uh, achieve this kind of this change, this transformation? That's a good question. Uh, I think back then I would have had hopes that eventually, because I felt like that there are so many things when I was helping people individually that it started to f that were clicking together, and started to feel like I, in some ways, like cracked the code for like how do you do you help people make the most progress, you know, in work and then in self mastery in general, um, and so. But I, 
That it would be so robust at such an early stage, I don't think I would have ever predicted. So uh, now we're remaking, as you know, we're redoing the entire masterclass uh, because what most people don't know is that in the original masterclass, um, you were there too, asking me the questions and everything that was filmed was basically me answering a question that you asked. And so you were kind of directing the topic and the flow of where things went. And so I would speak until I, I was done. And then you'd ask the next question and I would speak. And that's actually just what became the masterclass. And now what we've done is we just polished it up a little bit more. And so that's, uh, we're about halfway through, I guess, replacing all the videos there. Oh yeah. So yeah, everything, the new videos are amazing. Yeah. And, and now we have Lila uh, helping us with uh, graphics and making it. So it just it's easier to remember the points to highlight what's important and stuff. So there's a lot more graphics involved now too. Um, I look forward to being able to do this, to do more of these classes. And uh, I think that it's, it's been, it's been exciting, Sharif. What would you say? Would you, would you have predicted this? Uh, well, that's interesting. I mean, I'm not uh, too wedded to the idea of uh, working one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I didn't have a history of a, a private practice where I worked one-on-one -on -one with people, but I, yeah, I always found value um, in, in terms of, improving my habits just through reading and watching videos. So even, you know, before I uh, started working with you as, as a, my mentor, you know, I was able to improve some through that. Uh, I think what, what makes it possible to me is that this fact that there's a real theory uh, that's simple and it's boiled down to some clear skills that people can learn pretty quickly, but then that deepen them, deepen their application and understanding of them, reframing mindfulness challenge. And actually we've been working now with teams at, at companies and in organizations. And that's also been very helpful um, in kind of teaching a whole team, the whole approach that they can, can talk about and develop this shared understanding, this shared way of engaging the challenges that they face now as a team and, and an organization. Yeah, and we've had so many beautiful stories of teams and groups. Uh, and I think if you, if people want to do the masterclass, I'd encourage them to find a group of people that they can then meet every couple of weeks and discuss it just to be able to share like what helped you. And then that unlocks for other people like, oh yeah, I could do that. And to share strategies and, uh, to also just, like concretize with more examples that are particular to you and your group. Um, but I think it's a it's it's a powerful way of bringing a group together, whether it's in a business setting or just among a parents group or among friends. Uh, we've had really great stories of people doing that. Yeah, awesome. Well, Kevin, I think uh, that's it for today. Uh, so, well, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Thank we'll you. be back next week. Yeah, until next time.